folks. Welcome back to Indaba Africa. This is Chris once again. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Chris White Africa and Daba African News of the Day today, the 21st of May, 2021. In breaking news today, the member of the Democratic Alliance, she was a member of parliament on the 20th and a member of the party, Pumzile Van Dam announced her resignation from the Democratic Alliance and from her position as a member of parliament for that party on the 20th, but backtracked today saying that she gave no indication she was resigning and she remains an active member of the Democratic Alliance. Are you confused? So am I. Take a number, folks. We'll talk more about that shortly. While much of the world is reopening for international travel, South Africa seems not to be. Meanwhile, the National Coronavirus Command Council, you know that body. It's an undemocratic, unelected, unaccountable, capricious body that believes in muti and witchcraft, not science, reason, epidemiology, or virology. The National Coronavirus Command Council's uninformed decision to prevent spectators at the British and Irish Lions Tour in South Africa is an unmitigated disaster for South Africa and a massive economic loss and begs the question, what's the point of going to South Africa to play rugby? Just do it in the United Kingdom. There's no reason to hold the British and Irish Lions tour in South Africa if you are not going to have spectators. What an asinine, ridiculous concept. Chris Roper's woke assault on the Afghan Christian Democratic Party. Clearly a man that has no time or energy for faith or people of faith. And unfortunate for Tobo, Toby Shapshak's Toby unfortunately poor timing in his discussion of um, speaking up for uh, Pumzile Van Dam and talking about her role in government, he had the misfortune of that article being released on the same day that she announced her resignation as a member of parliament. Southern Africa's uh, SADAC, Southern African Development Community, is holding another cafe clutch two months after the ghoulish, horrific events that unfolded in Palma and Cabo Delgado province, northern Mozambique. Beheadings, dismemberments, murders, burning people alive. Two months afterwards, the emergency session, the second emergency session of SADC to form a response force. Now, didn't we have the ACERC and the African standby force? No, just pure fiction ways to fleece the West out of money to pay for training and equipment for African militaries that can't afford it. Elovu Sugar, originally a South African company, formed back in 1891, but now a subsidiary of Associated British Foods PLC. Elovu Sugar is investing in Tanzania, not in South Africa. The Africa report is concerned about window dressing by the International Monetary Fund and its talks with Zambia over debt. The Southwest Africa People's Organization or SWAPO Party Youth League calls homosexuality satanic. In the Baleta tribe of Botswana, has a court case today in Habaroni before the High Court regarding land tenure for land that it purchased a century ago. Botswana schools remain unready to reopen. 15, 16 months after the pandemic began, schools in Botswana apparently are not prepared to open. What exactly have schools been doing in 16 months other than collecting paychecks? not educating students. The African Union encourages civilians and military to form a government work together in Chad. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's gonna work real well. And in uh, breaking news out of Nigeria, Nigeria's ghoulish Boko Haram leader reportedly is dead after confrontation with another group that went after him, Abu Bakar Shikar, is apparently dead, having blown himself up. These are unconfirmed reports. 
Now, <laughs> the group that attacked him apparently was interested in the reward, the $7 million reward the United States government offered for his capture. And the United States government said, no, ISIS-related groups cannot receive a $7 million reward. In Nigeria, since 1937, ongoing corruption, violence, and the disputes over who owns land and what's happening to that land in the Niger Delta has convinced Royal Dutch Shell to leave Nigeria. There for nearly one century of oil exploration and exploitation, Royal Dutch Shell has announced that they've had enough and they're leaving Nigeria in shocking developments. Meanwhile, Nigeria's Air Force is adding JF-17 fighter jets from Pakistan to its inventory of new aircraft. And the Stormers are back in action, getting key players back for this weekend's matchup against the Sharks in Durban. Good, good news for Stormers fans. Lots of players, including Peter Steph Dutoy, are back in the lineup. They've been out of the lineup for some time. So there you have it, folks. Those are the headlines. Let's get to the in-depth news and analysis and a belated start to this news stream. We would normally be finished at this point, but now we're just getting to the news and analysis owing to whatever's going on with Streamlabs OBS. So folks, let's talk about these articles and stories in depth. Pumzile Fantam resigns from parliament and the Democratic Alliance because of a clique of individuals. This is an article by Sune Payne on the 20th of May. This was not an easy decision to make and it's done so with a heavy heart, she said, as she announced her resignation as a member of parliament and from her political party, the official opposition Democratic Alliance. Now, just in case you're not clear about whether she really resigned or not, in her statement, she said, to be clear, I will not be joining another political party, nor will I be using my time to launch attacks on the Democratic Alliance. I leave on my own terms, having made my own decision. Nonetheless, in a climate of rumors and the need to create heroes and villains, my resignation as an MP is not because the DA is a so-called racist party, but because of a clique of individuals. And in order not to make the good women and men still in the DA suffer, I will not delve further into this. Now, that was her statement on the 20th of May. Today, breaking news out of South Africa, I remain a member of the Democratic Alliance, says Pumzile Van Dam. I remain a member of the DA. I have not relinquished my membership, nor have I made any indication that I have, Van Dam said in response to a query from Times Live today. She said the DA might have misunderstood her. I think the party made an honest mistake or misunderstood. I don't know. This was not an easy decision to make and it's done so with a heavy heart, which is what she said the previous day. So there you have it, folks. She remains a member of the Democratic Alliance. Hey, your guess is as good as mine, right? While the rest of the world is reopening to international travel, trying to bring tourism back because tourism dollars are critical to many economies around the world, including those in Europe and the United States, South Africa especially, South Africa remains largely closed to international visitors while the rest of the world is opening up. European Union governments have agreed to allow quarantine-free travel for vaccinated tourists and visitors from countries deemed safe. Ambassadors from 27 member states have backed a proposal to waive quarantine for those with inoculations approved by searching groups. It could be finalized this week and implemented. Additionally, uh, this would land the US and some other countries on a whitelist, which is due to be adopted later this week. Wow, pass laws. Look at that. Meanwhile, South Africa is unlikely to be whitelisted, and it's also unlikely to ease its ludicrous requirement that someone present a negative test within 72 hours. A virtual impossibility for those of us who don't live in Africa or live in London or Frankfurt, where we can get a test right next to an airport, book a ticket, and get on a flight and be there in 12 hours or less. The those of us around the world find it much more challenging to make our way to South Africa. And it is not possible to get that. So until they ease that restriction and use some common sense, international travel will not be happening. The National Coronavirus Command Council's idiotic decision to 
ban spectators from the British and Irish Lions series, it flies in the face of reason and good judgment. And it will be an economic disaster for South Africa, costing it billions of dollars in revenue and a reputation that can never be restored. Frankly, there's no reason to hold this series now whatsoever. It should be held in the United Kingdom. It is one of the most anticipated events in the world of sport, the British and Irish Lions versus the Springboks. Had it not been for the pandemic, it would have been billed as all-conquering Lions versus the world champions. Interest would have generated a few billion rand in revenue for South Africa with tourists converging on the country to watch the rugby spectacle that's held once every 12 years. Ultimately, however, the National Coronavirus Command Council turned down those lobbying for a restricted number of spectators to be allowed into the stadiums. The argument by those wanting fans was that a venue such as FMB Stadium, which has a capacity of 94,000, bringing in 20,000 people would not be a great risk as there'd be enough physical room for distance. But the, the National Coronavirus Command Council, which has no scientific advisor on it, which has no medical professionals on it, which has no experts in epidemiology or virology, felt the risk was not worth the reward. Well, of course not. When you're trying to destroy a country, why would you want to encourage people to visit it? Your effort to destroy minority-owned businesses takes more time. Now tourism in South Africa, which would have benefited greatly from the Tour of the Lions under normal circumstances, looking for ways to make the most of the opportunity, which at least sees the tour even take place. At some points, even that seemed to be in jeopardy. The Lions Tour was our largest and biggest sporting event for the year. Having UK and global fans coming to South Africa would have been tangible spend benefit that one would see on the ground. But we live in a very difficult environment, yeah, because you're led by morons. And we would have to pivot one way or the other. Therefore, we have had to relook at what our return would be. It's not so much spend or people coming through, but rather utilizing all those millions of eyeballs focused in South Africa make to make sure we are not forgotten when the time to travel is right again. Well, you will be forgotten. Just like your wines are no longer considered reliable suppliers, your vineyards can no longer deliver the wine that is under contract to be delivered to, to wholesalers around the world, and therefore people not interested in South African wines anymore. The irreparable damage done by morons in the National Coronavirus Command Council who have no concept or appreciation and understanding for how businesses work. And they prevented your wine industry from shipping your wine abroad with no justification whatsoever. No one would have been at risk. They're just complete, utter fools. Chris Roper attacks the African Christian Democratic Party because he doesn't like their Christianity. Once again, Chris Roper's at it attacking people. And so in a long diatribe in which he talks about all sorts of things, he says, suggesting human rights shouldn't be taken too far, the African Christian Democratic Party is displaying a selective morality and religious bigotry that begs to be called out. Well, I do dare say that the comments by Chris Roper are very much religious bigotry against Christians. So it's ironic that the title, subtitle of his article accuses the ACDP of bigotry, of religious bigotry, which he himself puts into his article. The irony is lost on the gentleman. He said, I read two astonishing things this week, both indicative of the lengths to which men will go to achieve success. The first was a statement by the remarkably Reverend Kenneth Michaud, leader of the anonymously named African Christian Democratic Party. He said, South Africans must not take the issue of human rights too far. While this is yet another indication that religions will always be happy to compromise on basic constitutional rights when it comes to shoring up their tattered belief systems. It's not even the most absurd thing the ADCP has said this year. And it goes on and on. I, I'm not, I'm not going to give it much more light of the day. Chris Roper's um, assaults on people he disagrees with politically is shameless. It just keeps happening. Uh, I don't know why this guy goes after people. Um, his, his article makes no sense whatsoever. You can welcome to go read it in a financial mail and read what he had to say. But all I can tell you is this, is that the irony is there that he accuses the ACDP of religious bigotry, which is exactly what his op-ed is, religious bigotry. And he acts as if, 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 if religion is supposed to be free from controversy or free from making errors. 
Of course not. They're comprised of homo sapiens and homo sapiens are flawed creatures. They make errors. Poor Toby. <laughs> Toby Shapshack uh, put an article out on uh, the 20th and the timing was rather unfortunate. Toby Shapshack, someone tell Stella what it's all about. Despite the ministry's incompetence and an opposition MP has brought social media giant Facebook before parliament. He's talking about, of course, Pumzi Le what a different world we would live in if the DA's Pumzile van Dam were the communications minister instead of the inept Stella Nabeni Abrahams. Last week, the minister briefed Parliament on the train wreck that is the SABC, whose retrenchment process and attempts to cut three billion staff bill she twice interfered with. Well, Toby, it's unfortunate for you that that article came out the same day that Pumzile van Dam resigned from Parliament. It doesn't negate your op-ed and your commentary, but it's just unfortunate time for you. Uh, if you'd written this a week before, you probably would have had a lot more attention to it. SADAC is once again going to meet, according to Peter Fabricius, they're going to meet to discuss plans to send a 3,000-member intervention force to Cabo Delgado province in northern Mozambique. Military experts of Southern African Development Community last month drafted a plan for a force of nearly 3,000 troops armed with helicopter gunships and warships to defeat and dislodge the Islamic State-affiliated insurgency terrorizing Mozambique's northernmost province of Cabo Delgado. Well, folks, let me tell you this. We are now two months since the ghoulish events, the 24th of March, that took place in Cabo Delgado province and continued for at least a week after that. Sadek is still not there. Two months later, they had an emergency meeting for an emergency deployment and two months later, not there. This is exactly what I told you would happen. There's no way that Sadek would deploy a force within two to three months at the earliest, at the earliest. Now we're two months later, there's no force there. Maybe within the next month, possibly, they could get the first uh, lead elements of a force in there, but they're not because it's not an intervention force. It's not a standby force. It's not a peacekeeping force. It's non-existent vaporware, which is what Africans are very good at, hoodwinking those in the West into thinking they actually care about security on the continent and they're actually making a difference. There are a few exceptions to that. Of course, we see Nigeria make decisive engagements in the past. We've seen Amasam under the African Union make decisive engagements and actually fight a conflict against Al-Shabaab in Somalia. Beyond that, most military intervention in Africa by Africans is adventurism to seek profit and gain for themselves. There are a few exceptions, but not many. Nothing is happening. The ghouls still rule the roost in northern Mozambique. The Fatim is ineffective. Total has pulled out. The Dyke Group, apparently its contract was not renewed, not renewed. So people are left at the mercy of these ghouls. Ilovo Sugar, which originally was founded in South Africa in 1891, is now a subsidiary of a British corporation, is investing in Tanzania not in South Africa. Tanzania is its third most profitable market after Zambia and Malawi. Africa's largest sugar producer, Ilovo Sugar Africa, will spend 3.4 billion rand over the next three and a half years to expand production in Tanzania, the largest investment to date in the country's sugar industry. It'll make Ilovo's Tanzanian business less reliant on imports and will help local farmers produce for the company. It operates in six African countries. Tanzania is its third most profitable after Zambia and Malawi. Next most profitable is East Watini, followed by South Africa, and then finally Mozambique. Tanzanian group uh, Kilombero Sugar, of which Ilovo owns 75%, and the government of Tanzania owns 25%, announced a 571 billion shilling or $238 million expansion project. Largest investment for Ilovo to date. We're very excited about investing deeper into Tanzania, a country with South Africa's longstanding political ties with. Incredibly exciting investment for the country and the African continent. But you'll notice that that investment is not in South Africa, ladies and gentlemen. Meanwhile, the Africa Report, a subsidiary of Jeune Afrique, is concerned about window dressing by the International Monetary Fund in Zambia, saying that they're just, you know, there to paper over what's going on. IMF plays p 
time as it seeks to pacify creditors. The International Monetary Fund's statement that progress has been achieved in talks with Zambia in the wake of the 2020 Eurobond default masks the fund's real aim of preventing creditors from pursuing international arbitration. Or is the IMF actually just trying to string this thing out so people can't collect the debt? What's going on? The bottom line here is the most important issue is that uh, Zambia's government has defaulted on Eurobonds and also defaulted on Chinese debt. They are a bankrupt nation, not making debt payments. That's a real issue. In Namibia, the Southwest Africa People's Organization, or SWAPO, Party Youth League, says that homosexuality is satanic. SWAPO Youth League Secretary Ephraim Nkongo has told fellow SWAPO members serving the National Assembly to stop wasting their time discussing the rights and possible ways to legalize homosexuality in Namibia because it is satanic. So the ruling party's youth wing is sickened by the growing debates on and proposals to legalize homosexuality in the National Assembly, which he says are now taking up more time that should be reserved for more important motions. We would like to express our dissatisfaction on the prioritizing, prioritizing motions or bills in the National Assembly. The SPYL is sickened by the discussion of homosexuals in the August House, which overshadows urgent matters. Homosexuality is a satanic yet demonic practice and must never be legalized in Namibia. Wow. Well, certainly uh, the gentleman has an issue with homosexuality, but um, calling it satanic? What evidence do you have of that? I don't know that homosexuals worship Satan or adhere to that religious faith in any way whatsoever. It's obviously just hyperbole, but it also shows you the depths of dislike and distrust and um, lack of popular support for legislation that protects homosexuals in Africa. It is a penalty punishable by death in many countries in Africa. And that was certainly the case in Zimbabwe. It is a criminal, or not in Zimbabwe. Yes, in Zimbabwe as well, but in Namibia, it is a criminal offense. The Balete people in Botswana who live near Ramotswa are in a court case that took place today on the 21st of May, 2021, regarding land tenure for land they own. No, it's not stolen by rich white people and colonialists and wars and kith and kin, none of that. No, this is land that this group, this tribe of Botswana living in Botswana have owned for over a century, according to themselves, but it's in dispute. Land tenure remains an issue across Africa, Ghana being one of the countries most famously suffering from land tenure issues, where land is often held in communal trust and individuals cannot get the land unless they are favored by a local headman or chief. The Baleta tribe and the government's fate will be decided today following a bitter legal war over a vast piece of land. The Habaroni High Court will deliver the anticipated judgment on the Baleta Kali Farms ownership following a clash between the Baleta tribe led by Kosi Mozzari Seboko and the Maleta Land Board. The government has been pushing for the cancellation of the title deed covering a portion of farm forest known as Hill 9KO owned and managed by the tribe while the latter insists it is the rightful owner. According to court documents, the disputed land in question dates back to 1925 when Baleta bought a farm known as Forest Hill 9KO for investment purposes. The tribe contributed to raising the 3,000 sterling pounds required to purchase land from Aaron Sioux. To this day, as Baleta claimed the title deed is in the name of Kosi uh, Kogro for and on behalf of the tribe. And there you have it, folks. A um, land dispute, land tenure in Botswana. Nothing to do with those uh, evil white folks. Simply an issue that's on the table between people resident in the country. Land tenure is a very fractious issue for many countries, including, as you see, even in Botswana. Well, it's been uh, 12, 14, 15, 16 months now since the pandemic swooped down upon the world after it was released on us. And what's happening? Well, the schools in Botswana remain closed and they're not ready for reopening. What exactly have educators and administrators been doing for the last year other than sucking taxpayers dry with salaries? Schools 
not ready to reopen, according to Botswana Teachers Union. Even though staggering reopening of schools has been hailed as a commendable move towards controlling the pandemic spread, it is overshadowed by lack of preparedness among schools. Teachers through Botswana Teachers Union have expressed unhappiness at the level of readiness for schools to continue teaching for the second term. BTU Vice President Bakang Bakwazi says they believe in the staggering process, but wish the whole reopening could be suspended pending procurement of necessities. Wow. So what exactly have you clowns been doing for the last year and a half? Seriously. Your priority is to deny children education. When you deny a four or five, or six-year-old child the opportunity to learn at that stage as their mind is growing and fresh and receptive to ideas and learning other languages and learning mathematics and learning all the complicated things of language and speech and writing that are necessary to succeed in the world, you have betrayed those children. And we see educators across the world here in the United States, in Africa, in Europe, betraying children whom they're responsible and charged with educating. They care nothing for educating our progeny. They care only for their own selfish, parochial, personal needs. And it's disgraceful. They should be ashamed of themselves. They should be ashamed of themselves. The African Union's investigative team that went to N'Djamena in Chad to take a look at the unlawful, illegal usurpation of authority by the son of the deceased former president, Idris Debe, the son, Mohamed Idris Debe, the 37-year-old major general in the forces who's now in charge of a military government for the next 18 months, self-declared. The African Union trip, uh, the investigators went there, they suggest that civilians and military shares power. You really think that's going to work? The African Union on Thursday called for civilian and military leaders in Chad to share power until elections can be organized following the death of President Debbie and subsequent military takeover last month. While the AU repeated its earlier calls for civilian-led transition elections after 18 months, it said the military officers that seized power led by Debbie's son would continue, could continue to oversee security matters. Well, that's very generous of them. Interesting that the African Union, which holds no sovereignty over Chad, is very kind of them to tell Chad's military rulers who illegally usurp power that they can remain in power. The African Union has no authority to make such an assertion. Chad's military junta has no right to continue the fashion it's doing. And this is how your African leaders subvert your freedom, your independence, and don't care about your welfare. And when they are called on the carpet, they'll find some excuse to blame colonialism or racism or someone else's failures. The African Union has no authority whatsoever, whatsoever, to tell this illegal government in Chad that it has the right to remain in power for 18 months. That's utter lunacy. They have no sovereignty over Chad whatsoever. Nigerian army is investigating reports that Boko Haram's ghoulish leader is dead. Nigerian army says looking to reports that Boko Haram leader Abu Bakar Shakal has died by blowing himself up to avoid being captured by a rival group. The longtime leader of the extremist group, also known as Jamatu Alus Suna Liduate Wal Jihad, or Jazz, has waged an insurgency in northeast Nigeria for more than a decade. Most of us simply know him as Abu Bakar Shakao. The rest of that's a little bit too hard to say. Multiple reports across Nigerian media on Thursday claim he died a suicide rather than being taken alive following clashes with a rival group. Other reports by international news media outlets suggest that he was either dead or badly wounded. It's not the first time that Shikau has been declared dead, only for him to later resurface in videos taunting his detractors. The Nigerian Army spokesman Mohamed Yurema told CNN via text message the military is still investigating his reported death. If he, in fact, is dead, that's quite a significant setback for Boko Haram in Nigeria. But because this situation has metastasized and gone far beyond just Boko Haram in Nigeria, other groups, now it will not end simply with his death. In Nigeria since 1937, exploring and exploiting oil reserves, Royal Dutch Shell has had enough. 
and they are washing their hands of Nigeria, apparently. In shocking development here. Shell Oil is tired of doing business in Nigeria and wants to leave. It's talking to the Nigerian government about exiting the country. Wants out of Nigeria due to costly repair operations, sabotage, vandalism of pipelines, and the high-profile costly lawsuits. We've drawn that conclusion, and now we're talking to the Nigerian government on the way forward, says Shell's CEO Ben von Buren during the company's annual meeting this week. We cannot solve community problems in the Niger Delta. That's for the Nigerian government, perhaps, to solve. We can do our best, but at some point in time, we also have to conclude that this is an exposure that doesn't fit with our risk appetite anymore. Shell commenced mining operations in Nigeria in 1937. As the biggest onshore operator in Nigeria, Shell has often been accused of oil spillages that have damaged farmlands irreparably and imperiled livelihoods, while people conveniently ignore the bunkering that actually causes the leaks. In February, a Dutch court held Shell's Nigerian subsidiary responsible for multiple oil pipeline leaks in the Niger Delta. The company was ordered to to pay unspecified damages to farmers. 2020 also had an oil spill case and the Nigerian high court said the company had to spend 44 million for it. Shell may likely transfer its onshore oil and gas venture to the Nigerian subsidiary Shell Petroleum Development Corporation. Shell stake in SPDC gave it 156,000 barrels per day of oil equipment in 2020, of which 66,000 were barrels of oil per day. Shell oil, after nearly a century in Nigeria, leaving. Nigeria, has, uh, its Air Force has received uh, three jet fighter aircraft from Pakistan. The Nigerian Air Force has inducted three Chengdu Pakistan Aeronautical Corporation JF-17 fighters, part of its modernization plan, which includes the Super Tucano that it's waiting for, one dozen Super Tucanos from SMC Corporation, which is producing the Brazilian aircraft under license in Florida and they'll use those for their counterinsurgency. The Stormers have gotten players back for their competition this weekend against the Sharks in Durban, and just in time. The Stormers are limping along, barely winning last time, losing their first two games, one and two now in the tournament. Stormers have been bolstered by the return of a number of key players for their Pro 14 Rainbow Cup SA match against the Sharks in Durban on Saturday. Locks J.D. Schickerling, Marvin Ore. Peter Steph Dutoy and center Ruan Nell are all back in the lineup. Dutoy is back after being rested last week and forms a loose trio with Willy Engelbrecht and Evan Roos. Hopefully the Stormers can perform a bit better than they have been performing of late. Thank you, folks. May 21st, 2021, Indaba, African News of the Day. May you have a safe and wonderful weekend. God bless and thank you for your patronage.